welcome as we continue this series that we are calling You Do You. If you haven't been here or you're new to our church online, we've been talking about discovering your identity, understanding who you are and how God has created you to be. So we want people to understand this year your spiritual gifts. I want you to understand how God has uniquely crafted you together to represent him. So in order to understand your spiritual gifts, it's important that we study spiritual gifts, but we also need to look at spiritual formation. We need to understand discipleship. We need to understand the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as well as we need to understand spiritual conflict. We have to have a good understanding of what is spiritual conflict, what is spiritual warfare, what is deliverance, what is the enemy's role, what does the enemy do, and how do we have authority over the enemy. So those are the three big topics we're talking about this entire year. Spiritual warfare, spiritual conflict, or spiritual formation, and spiritual, um, spiritual gifts. So the reason we want to do those is because when you have a good understanding, when those three come together, you start understanding why God created you, and what he created you to for, and how you are to operate as a unique individual. Before I continue this message, I want to go back, and I want to repeat a quote that I had from a pastor in Canada, John Thompson. I like what he said. He said, for a Christian, the Holy Spirit living in you is really the only thing that distinguishes you from a non-believer. When you think about that, all people are the same. If you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, we all have bodies, we all have sicknesses, we all have challenges, we all have obstacles. But what is different for a follower of Jesus is that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. On the day you were saved, you you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And God set you apart and determined that your destiny would be heaven. But also the Holy Spirit, as he took up residence in your life, he began to change your heart, change your perspective, give you new desires, and give you ability to resist temptation. But at the end of the day, what's really different from a believer and a non-believer is simply the Holy Spirit living inside of you. We are spiritual beings, but sometimes in our Western mindset, we don't really grasp what it means to be spiritual. But this year, we really want to lean into what does it mean to be spiritual? So how do we reflect Christ and reflect Him well? So last week, we talked about the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. That he basically said, you can have all the most incredible spiritual gifts in the world, but if you don't have any love, it's all worthless. So I want to read 1 Corinthians 13 again. Last week I read it in the New Living Translation, and I want to read it this week in the Message Translation. Sometimes when you hear it in a different perspective, it kind of hits you in a different way. So listen to the words of Paul that are so appropriate for us to listen as we spend this year looking at spiritual gifts. He says, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't reveal when the others grovel, 
takes pleasure in the flowering of the truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the, the best, but never back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will someday, praying in tongues will end, understanding will reach its limits. We know only a portion of the truth, but what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incomplete will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like an infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do that lead us towards consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. See, Paul's letter is why spiritual formation is so necessary. Paul's letter is why Porta is working so hard for discipleship at the orphanage this year. Because we are all called to love extravagantly. And that doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit doing some work in your life. So I want to continue to talk about love. We talked about love last week. And it's good to continue to talk about it because Paul said you can have all the spiritual gifts in the world, but if you don't love, it's worthless. So I want to talk about loving because it's important for us to be able to ask ourselves the question of am I a loving person? And to continue to seek God to help us become a loving person. So today I want to talk about another way to show God's love, and that is by simply listening. Listening is an expression of God's love. Now, I didn't plan on talking about listening today. I planned on continuing to talk about love today. But earlier this week, one of the members of our community, Donna Kemper, she sent me an email with an article that talked about how some people in church oftentimes don't feel loved. And this whole article was about how some people that can even be involved in a church sometimes don't feel included or sometimes feel left out. And in that article, they talked about a survey or study that was done in 2004. And that's almost 20 years ago. And in that study, what it said is something interesting. They said one in four people in the United States have no one to do life with. That one in four people in the United States feel like they have nobody to listen to them. They feel all alone. They don't feel like anybody really cares to listen to them. And that's heartbreaking. That you could be in a big world and you have nobody to talk to or you have nobody to listen to. I love this quote by one of my former professors at Fuller, David Osberger. He was my professor of pastoral care. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. What he's saying is being loved and being heard is basically the same thing. Most people consider that when somebody loves you, they want to actually listen to you. And people desperately are dying to be heard. But so often in the church, and I think it's especially the conservative church, what we have made it a goal was to correct people 
more than connect with people. Or we've made it more of a goal to try to fix people instead of trying to actually simply listen to people. Paul lays it out pretty clearly. Our goal is to love. Now, maybe correction is needed, but our priority always needs to be love. I was listening to a video series the other day, and I forget who said it in the video. But he said, you know, he realized that his biblical theology is pretty narrow. And that's okay. Well, a lot of us believe in the Bible is pretty narrow considering what the rest of the world believes. But he made a good point, he said, but he, what he realized the older he got, that his theology of grace got way too narrow. See, our theology of grace and love is supposed to be pretty wide and include every single person in it. But sometimes we fail to do that. And that's why listening is so important because it's a way for us to extend grace. Ronald Rollheiser, he writes in this book this cute little story of this four-year-old girl who's sleeping in her bed at night and she gets scared. She thinks there's monsters and spooks in her room, so she wakes up at night and she's all scared and she runs into her parents' room and she jumps into her bed and wakes up her parents and says, you got to help me, there's monsters in my room. And the mother calms down the little girl and she walks the little girl back to her room and she turns on the lights and she says to the girl, see, nobody's in your room. And she told the girl, you don't have to be scared because Jesus is with you at all times. And the little girl said to her mom, she said, I know Jesus is here, but sometimes I need a person with skin to be in the room with me. I think we can all relate to that story. There's times you you know you can talk to God, you can pray to God, you know God hears you, you know God listens, but sometimes it's nice to have a person in the flesh in the room with you. Some person that would actually listen to you, that would offer you comfort, that offer you questions, that cares enough to actually listen to what you are talking about. I think we all know what it's like to be comforted by another person in a room with you, to ask you questions, but not to have a person in the room with you that just constantly wants to interrupt to turn the story back around themselves. That's not comforting. That actually can make you lonelier when you need somebody to talk to and they want to talk about themselves. See, to need a person in the flesh is a very real need. It's not a need that any of us should be embarrassed that we might feel like we lack friends or we're asking God for more friends. Friends are so important that that's why God sent Jesus to this earth. So he could be skin, he could be flesh among us. We call this doctrine the incarnation of Christ. It's a fancy word that means God sent Jesus to this earth to be flesh so he could be with us, so he could listen to us and comfort us. John 1.14 says it this way. It says, the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. I like the passion translation or the message translation on the verse because it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he came to earth. He moved into the neighborhood. And he moved into the part of town that nobody else wanted to go to. Jesus liked to be around tax collectors and sinners, the gospel tells us. And tax collectors and sinners, that's a code word meaning people nobody else liked. That's code word for what the Pharisees referred to as scum of the earth. That's who Jesus liked. Listen to Mark 2, 15. 
Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guest. Among the many tax collectors and other... Uh, let me start over. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law saw who... Saw who fair, but when the teach, I'm, I'm disgusted. I need to have you read for me. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with such scum?" That was a religious leader's question to Jesus: "Why are you eating with scum?" It's a good question. Why would Jesus eat with the tax collectors and sinners? I mean, these people were recognizable sinners in town that the Pharisees knew exactly who Jesus was with. See, Jesus ate with these people because he didn't consider them scum. He considered them people that needed to be loved. He considered them people that needed compassion. He considered them people that needed a relationship with him. And that's why he would spend time with people nobody else wanted to spend time with. But that does raise a very good question for us. What would a meal with tax collectors and sinners look like? How would that meal go? The book of James gives us a really good idea. Many of you are familiar with the verse of James 1.19 that says, understand this. My dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So that's really good advice for all of us because the Pharisees did it in the opposite direction. They got really angry, and then they opened their mouth, and they never got to the place of actually listening. And James is reminding us the place to begin is to listen. See, being part of the skin of God is being a good listener. And it's often hard to be a good listener because it's way easier to get impatient. But if we are going to love extravagantly like Paul has called us to do, we all need to learn how to listen well. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen. He says, to listen is very hard. Listening is much more than allowing another to talk while waiting for a chance to respond. Listening is paying full attention to others and welcoming them into our very being. The beauty of listening is that those who are listened to start feeling accepted, start taking their words more seriously and discovering themselves. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become friends, to get to know their inner selves more fully, and even to dare to be silent with you. That's a beautiful quote. That while listening to people, it helps them even accept their own selves and begin to understand more of who they are in the kingdom of God. But I think it's beautiful what his observation is, that listening is a form of hospitality. I think sometimes we think hospitality is all about casseroles and a, a dining room table and have people over to your house. And that is a beautiful aspect of hospitality. But hospitality is expressed when you just show a person that you want to listen to them. 
That's a beautiful gift. You don't even have to have a house to be hospitable. All you need to do is to listen to other people. You see, that's why listening is so powerful because it displays the presence and the power of God. That's why James says, listen before you talk. See, James' advice was rather unique back in the first century because during that time in the Greek culture of the first century, eloquent speech was considered one of the most important goals a person could attain to. Back in the first century, people wanted to be eloquent speakers. They would spend their life, all, the, all their skills, so they could talk clearly and so they could have a big audience of people that would listen to them. That was the goal in the first century. And here James comes around and he switches it. He says, your goal is to listen, not to speak. That had to be very confusing to people back in the first century because their whole objective was to talk. And James comes in and says, no, your whole goal is to listen. And James is clear in chapter one. He's saying, if you want to listen, it's good for your relationship with other people. It's good for your relationship with yourself. And it's good for your relationship with God. He basically says by listening to other people, you yourself become more integrated because listening to another person helps you connect better to God. And there's such a multi-benefit of listening to other people because it brings restoration to another person, restoration to yourself, and restoration to your relationship with God. So the big question is, how do you listen like Jesus? How do you live the incarnational life? Because talking about listening is one thing, but actually doing it is another thing. And it can get really complicated quickly listening to another person if you really don't have much of a relationship with that person or if you don't like that person. It's one thing to go to lunch with a friend you've had for 30 years. It's another thing to go to lunch with a person you really don't even know. So the first thing about being incarnational like Jesus is you're called out of your comfort zone. Sometimes to listen to other people is simply going to be awkward. It might be a little difficult. You might be talking to a person that you really don't feel like you have any connection with. But that's no reason to stop if God has called you into relationship or called you into community with this person. And the next thing that's so important is that we need to listen to understand. See, the biggest goal of listening is actually to listen. But so often the reason that listening is hard is because so often we listen to respond to people. So often we're listening to a person talk to us. Instead of listening to what they're saying, we're thinking of what are we going to say back to them? How are we going to reply when they're sharing this tragic story? Or maybe they're telling us a story about something even happy. What, how are we going to respond? I think we've all done it. I think it's just a natural part of communication. We listen to respond instead of listening to understand. See, the whole goal of listening is not to respond. The goal of listening is always to understand. To understand what is going on in that other person's life. To understand what would it be like to be that person. What would it be like to be in that person's shoes right now? The goal is to understand that person's life experience, and you can ask questions along the way to help you better understand. See, the goal in listening is to help a person feel like you really care, that you care enough that you want to invite them into your heart. So I think there's two good questions that we need to ask people. 
but only if you really care. She's had enough. <laughs> There's two good questions that I love. I think these are beautiful questions. The first question is to say to a person, what is it like to be you? What is it like to be you right now? That's a good question. Because it takes more than an answer of, I'm fine, I'm good. No, what is it like to be you right now? Becky will ask me that question, usually when I'm pretty vulnerable. Or she knows something is a little off with me. It's a good way to get, for her to get me to talk, say, what's it like to be you right now? And then she just listens quietly. Another good question to ask a person during a conversation and say, if there's only one thing I could take away from this conversation about you, what would you want it to be? What's the most important thing that you want me to hear right now? That's a deep question. For a person to take maybe an hour conversation they have with you and boil it down to, what is one thing about you that you want me to walk away with? See, that shows a person that you really care, that you really are interested in them. I think a third really good goal of being incarnational is keeping an open mind. That's what the Pharisees did. They started with anger, and then they talked. It's easy to do that, especially when you're talking to a person you might disagree with. Have you ever had a conversation with a person, and it feels like the entire time you're talking that they're just formulating in their mind a comeback to come at you, instead of really listening to you? And that is the goal of listening, is to listen to understand, not listen to correct, or not listening to refute. And the fourth good thing about incarnational living is you've got to be true to yourself. It's easy when you're listening to another person trying to be so nice to that person that you forget who you are or you forget what you like or what you dislike. We often think that the way to show kindness to other people is to agree with everything they say and to lose the distinction of who we are. You don't have to do that to listen to a person. You can still have your own opinions and your own ethics and your own theology and your own likes and your dislikes. Listening is simply a way for you to understand that person better, not to get them to believe everything that you believe. And that brings us to the final point I want to make about good listening is that you can love people that you disagree with. I think we're seeing that so much in our culture right now. That if we don't agree with somebody, we like to cancel them. And I think many of us are kind of in the middle of the aisle and we got people way on one side and way on the other making extreme points and we're in the middle like, I don't even know what to do anymore. But you can love people and listen to people and not agree with them. So what really blocks good communication? I think the thing that blocks good listening is when we only listen to respond. When we're only listening because we want to figure out how can we solve a person's problems quickly by giving them a couple points. Or when we respond just because we want to sound smart. Or you have a conversation with a person, they respond only so they can tell you more of their story. I think we have to be careful that we're listening to understand and nothing else. See, as a church, it's very important that Lake Effect becomes a church that develops a culture of listening. 
That we develop a culture that we listen to other people before we speak and before we judge and before we correct and before we think we can fix people. Every person needs to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But before people can hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, they need to experience the message of Jesus Christ. And one of the best ways to experience the message of Jesus Christ is by having a person simply listening to you. People are not going to change because of my words. They're not going to change if I give a really super good message. They're not going to change if one of you thinks of something really creative to say as a comeback during a conversation. People are only and always going to change for three reasons. Number one, they're known by God. And number two, they're encountered by Jesus. And number three, they're transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way a person changes. That's the only way a person changes their mind or changes their heart is if they're known by God, encountered by Jesus, and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And when we use our spiritual gifts, we are just showing the presence and power of God so he has a greater invitation into that person's life. We're not going to fix people by our words. We're going to fix people by displaying the presence and power of God. So last week, I'm driving home from church, and our youngest son, Trey, I'm with Trey, you know, our sound guy, and he said to me, when are you going to start talking about the LGBTQ stuff at church? (laughs) He said, when are you going to start talking about it? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, for three years, you've been talking about all the stuff you and mom want to do for the LGBTQ community. He said, three months ago, you shared your testimony but you haven't brought it up since. When are we going to talk about it some more? Any good kid. So, that's remarkable. I mean, Trey, thank you. So anyway, so Trey began to remind me of all the things Becky and I talked about that are heart for the gay community. And so I thought... What a better thing than have Becky come up and tell you, because I'll just choke up. So welcome Becky up as she wants to, I want her to share with you some of our heart for the LGBTQ community. Thank you, Jack. So Jack did ask me to come up and share a little bit more about it because uh, I think I've shared with some of you uh, pieces of this journey, but I, I'm going to I'm going to just share it publicly so that it's also on record of, of just this journey that God's had. So many of you knew, know that I grew up as a missionary kid with the Great Commission really in my heart um, of, of, of discipling all nations, discipling all people. I grew up, in, I, was, I was born in Bolivia and uh, was there till I was six, and then my father became a professor of missiology in Fuller Seminary. So this has always been something that's been part of what I've wanted to do is to see people reached for Christ. I grew up with the belief that that every single person that I come in contact with is someone who needs to be treated as someone who's been created in the image of God and somebody who needs to be treated as though Jesus actually died for them and that God wants to be in relationship with them. 
And that's, and I still hold that belief to this day, that every single human being that I come in contact with is someone that God also wants to be in contact with, especially if that relationship is not yet there. However, I will be very honest in saying to you that uh, I had a real disconnect when it came to the LGBTQ community for the majority of my Christian life. Uh, it, when we started talking about things uh, in, the, in that community, it was almost as though I just sort of switched off. Because my honest, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be real raw and vulnerable with you in the way that the, uh, another thing that I had learned, not just by the church, was just apathy for this particular people group. Apathy and, uh, and uncaring. Um, but... Um, Somehow it was like they belonged in some other category. I can't describe it better than that. That's just how I was behaving. But then uh, when Jack began going through the season where the Lord asked him to begin trust him with everything and began understanding his own sexuality in a way that he was able to share with me, gosh, this was about two and a half, three years ago now, um, well, let me back up a little bit and say that I would go to prayer meetings and things like that where people would start praying about the gay agenda. They would start praying about, about um, gay people and, and the, the whole community coming in and somehow influencing us, and, and, and they would call it the LGMEHT, you know, all those alphabet soup people. And I, honestly, I would sit and I'd kind of snicker under my breath too. And, it was, and it's very dehumanizing. And it's not, it's not how I would behave toward anyone else. And yet that is really how I behaved. You know, a few years back, a, a poll came out. I, sh I shared this. And, and I, I want to say this for you all and those of you listening online, that if you've not had an opportunity yet to hear Jack's testimony, we have it on the home site of our webpage at lakeeffect.church along with um, the following week where he and I got up in the pulpit together and shared what it's like to, to be married in, an, in, an, in a mixed orientation marriage is what is the technical term for what we have. Um, but uh, so I just want to let you know that that resource is out. If, so if there's missing pieces to this story, please go back and watch that. It's very eye-opening. Uh, but anyway, a few years back, a poll came out by the Barna Group, and the Barna Group is an, is an organization that's probably known as the best Christian researchers available. They research on all kinds of things, and one thing that they did in this particular, th in this particular time, I talked about this a little before in that one too, is they uh, got together a group of non-Christians and asked a series of several questions. And one of the questions that they asked that group of people was, when you hear the word Christian, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The number one answer that those people gave was that they hate gays. That was the number one answer. It had nothing to do with Christ. It had nothing to do with the church. All it had to do with, in their mind, the instant thought was they hate gays. And I'm going to tell you a real hard truth. I would have heard that three years ago and shrugged. I would have said, yeah, yeah, that's probably true, and moved on. But you know what really would have bothered me about that statement is what my reputation looked like. What would, bother, would have bothered me about that statement three years ago is I don't want to be known as an unloving person. I don't want to be known as that. I don't want that to be my reputation. Is all those I things and me things. 
nothing about what about the LGBTQ community and what does it look like to them. And that's just the real truth of where I was. So this is a little bit of the journey of how the Lord brought me to a different place and how the Lord has brought what I believe Lake Effect Church to a different place on this over. The difference is, is that when Jack began becoming very uh, aware of his story in a way that he could share it and allowing the Lord into his story so that he could stand up and say, I'm not straight. And he could stand up in front of me and tell me that. I suddenly had a name to put to all these things. Suddenly my husband was part of the alphabet soup. Suddenly my husband was part of those people that, and I've actually seen an awful lot coming out of the church since then, now that I'm much more aware of it and much more in tune with it, that, have, uh, that, that would even question Jack if Jack is even a Christian. I don't know if you can hear much of his preaching and wonder that, but, uh, but that is, that's, that's, now that I had a name to begin putting that to, my heart began breaking for this community. And as my heart began breaking, I began becoming much more in tune with those things, those little things that Christians tend to say or tend to do that really are very dismissive of that entire community and of that entire people group. And one of the things that became me, started getting really, I don't know, it caught my attention, was that in some of those same prayer meetings that I had been in before, I, I had heard a lament about the, the rainbow flag, about the gay pride flag. That the, um, and what I'd heard is um, that, let me, let, me, let me read where I had been um, here. Oh, see, I'm not on the same page with myself, that's why. We've got to get on the same page here. That, that the LGB community has stolen this from us. This is, a covenant, um, this is a covenant symbol in the Bible, and now it's a symbol of the LGBTQ community, and it's been stolen away from us. And that's something that we have to take back as Christians. Well, once I started having a name to put all this to, and my heart began breaking for this community, and that great commission training that I had been born with began rising up inside of me, and my understanding for the need for God, the desire for God to have a relationship with every single human being, regardless of their sexuality, that began to, to not sit well with my spirit about the rainbow flag. And I began pondering, God, why on earth is that the flag and what, what it, what, what's going on here? And I, I really felt like the Lord, over a period of time, gave me some answers with regard to that. The first thing was is that the rainbow itself was never intended to be a Christian symbol of covenant with God. What the rainbow is is intended to, to be God's promise to the earth that he does not want to destroy the earth again on account of sin that he wants to have relationship with people. He wants to be in touch with his creation. He doesn't want to be a God of destruction. He wants to be a God of love. And that, and, and that is what the rainbow represents in the Bible. And then it began becoming clear to me that we as Christians have a much stronger symbol of our covenant with God, which is the cross. We don't need the rainbow. We just don't. And then I began to ponder this question. Could it be that God allowed the 
LGBTQ community to actually think up and have that flag as their symbol so that it would be something that is a catalyst for us to go into intercession for them. Because we know God doesn't want to destroy them if that's what the rainbow symbolizes. So when we see that rainbow flag flying, that should actually be something. Could it be that that should be drawing us into intercession? That that should be drawing us into saying, God, how can I make a difference here in creating these relationships with you and and, and, and in being your ambassador on earth? Could it be that nobody stole the rainbow but that God gave them the rainbow. Could that be? I don't know. And here's another thing that I learned. As I was sharing this with a very good intercessory friend of mine, uh, a, a prayer warrior friend of mine, she also pointed out to me that the gay pride flag rainbow is an incomplete rainbow. There are only six colors in the gay pride flag but there are seven colors in the rainbow. And she had heard a teaching that really has revolutionized a lot of my thinking. See, the rainbow itself is made up of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Some of you may have learned that in school, that those are the seven colors. But in the gay pride flag, it's only made up of six. It has red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet. It is missing the indigo. Now the reason that that's important is because of what indigo actually represents. This teaching that I became aware of was a teaching that a a prophetic artist who is also a teacher had come up with. He has studied colors. He has studied the meanings of colors, even biblically and in, in other places. And and indigo is missing from the gay pride flag, but, but the symbolic nature of indigo is that it means identity. And that is the piece that is missing from that flag. And we as Christians are called to bring the indigo, not to try to take anybody's flag away, not to try to steal it or tell them how to identify, none of that. We need to learn to listen so that what we're doing is we're adding the indigo into their flag. But I'll tell you, it's not just the LGBTQ community that needs it. It's all of us who need the indigo added into whatever the flag of our life is. We need to understand who who Christ is in our life, who we are, how much he loves us. We need to understand that he has a hope and a future for us, and that's bringing the indigo. And that's what what the journey has been that I have been on since uh, in the last three years, going from somebody of, of, of apathy and disinterest and even maybe some uh, cruelty to a person whose heart, desire, and passion is to say, I am called to bring the indigo. And we believe here at Lake Effect Church that that's what we're called to do, bring the indigo into the LGBTQ flag, and into everyone's lives. This is anyone that we meet. That's what it is. That's just another way of saying that we believe in the Great Commission, and we believe that that's what we're called to do. So all of that became a whole lot more, more clear to me. So this whole idea of listening 
that Jack shared with us today is really key for this. I was in the shower the other day. God loves to catch me in the shower because, I don't know, maybe because I can't run real fast from there. I'm not sure exactly why. But I was in the shower, and this, this, this phrase just hit, hit me like a ton of bricks. That Lake Effect needs to be the indigo culture. That our culture here at this church and the culture of everything that we do is just to be, to bring the indigo, to bring people into relationship with Christ and to show them the identity piece that they may be missing. And listening is such an important part of that. And so, as a result of that, we are beginning something here at Lake Effect, and it's already begun, and we are calling it the Indigo Table. And we just got it up on our website yesterday. We just got a Facebook page started about it. But I want to read to you the, um, what, we're, what we here at Lake Effect are doing, partly as a result of all of what I've shared, but just how we feel, and partly because Trey said, um, what you guys doing? You're really not much right now. So when are we moving in that direction? And frankly, we've learned a lot about loving from Trey. So the indigo table, I'm going to read to you the, the, um, what it is. The indigo table is a gathering intended to create a safe space for, conver- for the conversation of faith and sexuality without judgment or criticism. We believe that one of the greatest expressions of love is to listen. And we want to love well, just as Jesus taught us to do. Our goal is not to change or persuade, but to sincerely and respectfully engage in a meaningful conversation meant to listen, edify, and encourage each other. At Indigo Table, we believe that all forms of abuse, slander, dehumanization, or oppression toward fellow humans is an affront against God's sacred image, which has been stamped upon all people. With that in mind, regardless of how you identify or what your sexual ethic may be, all people who genuinely genuinely wish to engage in this conversation are welcome. So we have begun meeting together uh, now, and I'm not giving those, those details publicly. If anyone knows, is interested in joining us in this conversation, or knows of anyone that they want to, uh, to, to maybe send our way, we will also meet one-on-one, obviously. But we want to start just a discussion, a group, where our job is to listen, because in the lis- it's in the listening that we love. We want to hear stories. We want to hear hearts. We want to create a back door for people who feel they have no place to go to church. We want to create a space like that. And so that is what the Indigo Table is about. And please get in touch with me or Jack or Lori Dittmar. We now have a Facebook page called Indigo Table as well as a a page. uh, Go to the front, again, go to the front page of our website and it'll be there. To get in touch with us, we really, really desire deeply to engage in this conversation at a level that, that is not going to be us preaching to anybody, but us hearing stories, listening to stories, and just having that indigo available to begin adding that in. So thank you very much.
Eck, I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing from your heart. And I'm, thank you for all being part of the Indigo table. Um, it's going to be fun. Going to see what happens. We're excited. A lot of people have been showing a lot of great interest. And we're just seeing how the Lord's going to lead all of us through this. So I want to close. I'm going to close and then um, I'm going to do the benediction. And then Greg will lead us in the final song. And you can uh, find your way out or you can come forward and we will pray for you. But I just want to leave us with, where did it go? The last verse in the book of James, or the book James 1. James says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's genuine religion. That's genuine relationship to God, taking care of the widows and orphans. And see, the widows and orphans, it doesn't mean just widows and orphans, but it means the people that were marginalized by society. See, in the Greek culture, the women and the children, orphans and women that were not married were considered the least valuable in this culture. People looked at them in the Greek culture and thought they have no value, no contribution to society. They thought, we're kind of better off without you. And that's James' invitation to who we take care of. The most marginalized. That's what the church is for. Not to judge, not to ridicule, not to mock, but to support in love and buy them all the tables they need and all the chairs they need and all the Bibles they need. And in a little hour or so, you can go to our website. So let's pray. Let's close with that. And Greg's going to lead us in the final song and lead us out. So Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you, Lord, for the culture that you are establishing here at Lake Effect Church. Lord, we thank you for what Porta is doing in Haiti. And Lord, I pray that you would abundantly bless them. I pray, Lord, that they would continue to see amazing progress, and we pray for revival and salvation among all the staff at the orphanage. Lord, would you bless everything that Porta is doing? And God, would you bless us at Lake Effect Church, Lord, as we try to create this indigo culture of love and acceptance and encouragement. God, we pray that you would bring people into Lake Effect through the front door or the back door, or even cut a hole in the roof. Lord, we long to see people come to a relationship with you because you are a good father. So may the Lord bless each one of you. May he watch over each one of you. May he protect you and keep you. May the Lord open up the gates in your life so you have conversation with the marginalized, with the widows and the orphans. And may God bless you with every spiritual gift so that you are the presence and the power of God everywhere you go. Lord, may your power be in us. Lord, may your power to be listened, to listen, be in us. Would you bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.